This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. You know, uh, the world later this week is going to be celebrating death. Uh, If you talk about a contradiction in terms, uh, oxymoron, (laughs) that's one of them. I was uh, in the mall the other day and I saw a sign that said, uh, Happy Halloween. Now that's a contradiction of terms, if ever there is one. Because Halloween is a celebration of death. And you've got to have a warped spirit if you're going to celebrate death. Uh, Rather interestingly enough, though, uh, the church has got an oxymoron as well, you know. Um, Sad communion. Sad communion. You see... uh, I believe that we are to focus in on what God has brought us into, even though we may not yet be fully experiencing it. I believe that we should be rejoicing in our blessed and privileged state. You've been delivered out from the authority of the kingdom of darkness. It has no authority in the life of a believer. And that being the case, how come Christians mourn the death of Jesus? Because you see, he's not dead. If Jesus were dead, let's mourn. Because we had a great, uh, the, the, a great example set before us of somebody who could live a life in perfection and victory in most cases. You can pick it up. <laughs> and victory in most cases. Because I don't want that, oh, there goes the packet. What if you're going to offer them around, Steve? Come on now. Praise God. But Jesus, Jesus is not dead. And this is what we need to get to grips with, is the truth of the realization that Jesus is alive. At the end of World War II, we had a number of celebrations. We had VE Day, Victory in Europe. And then we had V Day, Victory Day, when all across the world, uh, the enemy had been dealt with. There were parades, there were flags, there were bands, there were reunions, and it was a time of great joy. Yes, there had been a loss, but the focus wasn't on the loss. Yes, we built a memorial to them, but I want to tell you, as a result of their sacrifice, we have what we've got today. Life and freedom. And I believe that in the, in the church, we've lost sight of the fact, or we've never known, that Jesus is alive. Yes, we have a look at what he went through, but I want you to know that the cross was not the end. Jesus had to go by way of the cross in order to get for you and me what he purchased. And he got it, and he achieved it. And you and I do not begin to comprehend it with natural understanding, but we are just called not to understand it. He didn't say, come along and understand it. He said, come and walk in it. I've made the way possible. Come and walk in what I've given for you. And it's done. Jesus has accomplished the purpose for his coming. He is the victor, the conqueror over his enemy and ours. And he has an interesting revelation. I want us to grab hold of it because, you know, our our hymnology just leaves us so such paupers in terms of our understanding because it wants to keep taking us back to the foot of the cross. Praise God for the foot of the cross. But I want you to know that after the foot of the cross, there was an empty tomb. And after the empty tomb, there's the right hand of the Father on high. The position of authority and victory and overcoming. And yes, he's still got the marks in his body. But he has a revelation. They're healed. Yeah. 
They're healed. He's got the scars, but the wounds are healed. Some people want those wounds still to bleed. Ain't going to happen. He's done all the bleeding that God required of him. He died. And you and I walk in the fullness. How can he ever say to you that you can be healed if he's not healed yet? And he's the healer. Come on. And what he wants us to do is walk in the life that he died to give us. I believe that it's a slap in the face of God when we know that truth and we don't walk in it. He's provided it for us. And we don't walk in it. Now, God is the greatest communicator under the sun. How many of you realize that? Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Have a look here at verse 46. He has the principle. Howbeit that which was first was not spiritual, but natural. And afterwards that which is spiritual. It's talking there about the first Adam and the last Adam, but it's establishing a principle. God shows us. Through the first Adam, the the natural, that which he purposes to do in the spirit realm through the last Adam, who is spiritual. There's a natural and a spiritual example. You and God is the greatest communicator. If you want to communicate with an ant, you've got to become an ant. God is able to get down on our level and communicate with us. There is no reason for any believer not to to begin to understand, and once you've begun, you'll slide into it really easily, what God has purposed and planned for us. God, He's not hiding it from us. It's hidden from the enemy. He doesn't know what God's purposed and planned for you. You can find out for yourself. And God wants you, first of all, to understand that he died to bring you something. He takes you out in order to bring you in. You think that that life that you had in the world was great? It was nothing. It was corn husks, man. The Lord gives to us models, paradigms. He shows us by example what he purposes and plans for us to do, to become, to enter into, and to experience. And the first model that he gives us is Old Testament Israel. Now, I'm not going to go all the way back and and, and check it out. I just want to hit the highlights just to bring us to a place where we remember some of the things that Israel were experiencing. They were under Pharaoh's tyranny. They'd been in Egypt for 400 years. They weren't in bondage for 400 years. The first years were good years. There were good pharaohs there. But a pharaoh came to the throne of God real intimidated by this bunch of people out there who were multiplying and they were not Egyptians. At the same time, he had some plans for developing the area. And he said, here's a reasonably inexpensive source of labor. So let's start putting them to work. If you're going to live here, you're going to work here. And so that's the way that he started going. And they found themselves ultimately in slavery. Slavery is loss of freedom. They were under the dominion of an ungodly influence. They were bound. God's covenant people found themselves in servitude to an ungodly rulership. I wonder how many Christians sitting here this morning are in the same place spiritually. A covenant child of God in servitude to an ungodly rulership. 
an area of your life where you are bound, you're dictated to, this thing governs your movement, it governs your thinking, it causes you not to be able to move forward with God, the inside of you just screams out, I want to be free, but another part of you says, you're dabbling in the wrong areas and you don't have any right to expect these things. That's the way the enemy keeps you bound. See, he doesn't keep you bound through snorting only, sticking needles into your arms, between your toes. That's just another expression of bondage. He keep you bound in your mind from preventing you from coming to a place where you can enjoy all that the Lord has provided for you. Why? Because I'm dabbling in an area that I know God never wanted me to get involved in. And I'm dabbling over here and I'm trying to be something different out here and the two are not jiving. It's like oil and water. They just don't flow together. And the end result is what? Condemnation. The enemy heaps it on you and you can't move forward with God. And I want you to know this morning that that is bondage. Bondage. A lot of people don't come to church not because we preach condemnation. I don't believe that we preach condemnation here. But I want you to know something. The Spirit of God convicts them. And you've got to understand, condemnation comes from the devil. Condemnation doesn't give you a way out. Conviction comes from the Spirit of God. And conviction always gives you a way out. If you will repent, turn from it, says God, and you'll experience freedom. So there, there was natural Israel bound, and God... Because of covenant commitment, despite their bondage, God, because of covenant commitment, brings deliverance. He raises up a leader. Somebody who will speak His word. Somebody who will stand and declare, This people are my people, says the Lord. Let them go. And he raises up this leader to bring them out of bondage into freedom. Interestingly enough, he goes a step further. And what he does is he defeats all the gods of Egypt. Egypt, of course, was the place where they were in bondage. He defeats, God defeats all the gods worshipped by the Egyptians. What do you think the purpose of the plagues was? The plagues were the things that their respective gods were supposed to protect them against. And when God brought the plagues on the scene, He basically was saying, that God is able to do what? Protect you from what? Watch this. Where's your God's power now? That's exactly what He did. And every one of those plagues were directed against one of the gods worshipped by the Egyptians. And God did it to show the Egyptians that your gods have no power. Your gods have no ability. They can't protect you. They can't provide for you. Why are you worshipping them? I'm the only true God, says God. And I'm going to show you because I'm going to bring my people out. And what he does is he, he doesn't just raise up a leader. He doesn't just go against all their gods and prove them to be powerless. But he goes along and he brings deliverance for his people from every consequence of captivity. Everything that captivity brought 
in as an experience for his people, God changes. God corrects it. First of all, he brings them out from the bondage of slavery. You know you can be captive and not a slave. Slavery is servitude against your will. That's slavery. And he frees them from slavery. Secondly, he restores to them all the property that they lost. And thirdly, there's a restoration of wholeness and healing to bodies that were bruised and ravished as a result of the years of abuse in slavery. Now, I want you to go with me to two places because I want you to hear what I've just said. God brings deliverance from every consequence of captivity. Now remember, we're having a look at, an old, at old Testament Israel as one of the models for us in the New Testament that God says, check out how I worked with them. This is how I purpose to work with you. Go to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. How many of you believe the Word of God? Okay, now watch this. Remember the process. He brought them out. Through what? There was a sacrifice that was made. It was called the Passover feast or celebration. And Passover doesn't mean pass by. Passover means to come and settle upon. Like a hen settles upon her chicks. That's a Passover. It is protection. It's provision of protection that God gave to them. Psalm 105, verse 37. The psalmist says, He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among all their tribe. What do you mean? There wasn't a feeble person amongst all the tribes of Israel. They've been slaves for at least a hundred plus years. They'd been worked to death, some of them. You mean to tell me that there were no injured bodies? There were no weak bodies? What about the elderly? They, were, uh, they, they, were, they had to get out there and work as well. But he brings them out of bondage. He brings them out of Egypt in order to take them into a land that is their land. And he brings them out of Egypt, watch there, with silver and gold. These guys had nothing. They were in slavery. They were in subjection to a godless rulership or an ungodly rulership. And here they were being delivered. God raises up a deliverer and out they come from bondage into the place that God has for them. And God meets every need that they've got. There is restoration of health and wholeness through obedience to His Word. When they stood there the night before and God said, this is what I want you to do. At this particular hour, you will kill this lamb. You will take the blood and put it over the lintels and the doorpost. And then when you've done that, go inside the house, close the door, and don't come out until you get the call from me. They go in and they're protected. God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, not pass by you. The angel of death is coming across the land. I will pass over you. I will cover you. I will protect you. Anything that would come against you is going to have to come through me. And he says, now you take that land and you prepare it. Listen, not the way you want it. You prepare it the way I instruct you to. God seeks for obedience from his people. 
It's only obedience that brings us into fullness of blessing, folks. It's not doing it the way we think it should be done, and I'm not going to be obedient there, and I'm going to do it my way. If your way is not God's way, you're going to run into trouble. You're not going to get the blessing, at least. And so he goes along and he tells them how to eat it. And they've got to eat it with their staff in their hand, their shoes on their feet, their loins good. In other words, ready to go. Why? Because you're coming out. You're not going to stay there. Now this is the covenant meal. And when you eat it, and that's what they did, they left Egypt with a belly full of lamb. What was it that provided healing for those physical bodies? The lamb. The lamb that they ate. The sacrificed lamb provided healing for their bodies. And the word of God says that out of somewhere between three to six million, we've just read it, there was not one feeble one in all they midst. Not one! Uh, I don't know how many people we've got here this morning. I guarantee we've got at least one feeble person here. And there sure ain't three million of us. But how come that should be the case? Because the Word of God says we've got a better covenant established upon better promises. One of the biggest problems that we face today is the teaching of religious tradition that says you've got to get sick sometime. That's nonsense. You do not have to get sick anytime. 60 million Americans will have flu this year. Maybe, but not, not me. They can just pass right by my house. Let my neighbors go along and suffer with it if they want to. But that's up to them. But not me. I do not plan to. And if, some, if I uh, end up fighting symptoms, I'll stand on this platform and fight symptoms until the body falls down. And somebody else will get behind the platform and keep on with the message. Amen? It's only a body. Amen? But we're going to fight it. Now you say, well, that's ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous. That's what God's provided for us. Now let me move on, because I, I, I want to move to, uh, we've had a look. There was not one feeble one in all their tribes. Go across to Deuteronomy chapter 29, and I want you to see God's provision. Remember, we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Isn't that what the Word of God tells us? Now, if I've got a better covenant, and God's done all these things for them, surely I can expect Him at least to do the same for me. Amen? Have a look at what God says. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5. God says, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes haven't gotten old on you and your shoes haven't gotten old on your feet. Hello. Sounds like provision to me. Walking 40 years, years, not hours, not days. Not weeks, not months, 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes haven't gotten old on your back. How many of you got a 40-year-old suit? I'm sure it has. What about 40-year-old uh, shoes? Your feet are going to grow, they're going to change. I mean, they're walking all the time. They're not riding. And the Word of God says their shoes didn't wear out. Hello. Does that sound like provision to you? It sounds like provision to me. And we've got a better covenant established upon better promises. Now, that's a celebration of life.
He brings them out in order to take them in to their covenant inheritance. But I want to make a statement right here and I want you to grab this. You can only enter into your covenant inheritance when you know that it's yours. And then when I know that it's mine, I still have to take the decision to possess it. A lot of people know what God has provided for them and they're not walking in it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was visiting an old lady at, at, at request of friends and this old woman in a tumble-down house ailing in bed, sitting there obviously battling, not just physically but financially. And uh, as he was in the room, he was just scanning across some of the, the pictures that were there. And he came across a, a picture that had a document in it. And he said, this is rather interesting. She said, oh yes, that was given to me. I used to, uh, I used to wait upon a particular household and I served them for many, many, many years. And on the death of that person, that's what she gave to me. And I've kept it there as a memorial. He said, do you mind if I have this uh, examined closer? So she said, sure, but make sure you bring it back. He came back to her later and said, do you know what you've got here? This is the last will and testament of that person there that you used, that you gave your life for. You served her. Here you are living in this abject poverty. And this is the document, which is her will and testament, in terms of which everything that she left is yours. Why are you living in this when you could have all of that? She was ignorant of what was left to her. Yeah. A lot of Christians are like that. Ignorant of what God has provided for us. And they live spiritually in abject poverty, relatively speaking, to what God has provided for them. And the Lord wants us to move in and possess what, is our, what our possessions are. Hosea chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, but Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, my people are destroyed, not by the enemy, not by the devil, but by lack of knowledge. Not knowing. Another word for lack of knowledge is ignorance. And if you're ignorant of what God has provided for you, you can't possess it. But if you know what God has provided for you, make the decision to take it and enjoy it. Now in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 19, we're told this concerning the children of Israel. And there's a whole discourse on that. Let me just read it for you. And this summarizes why the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness and didn't possess their possession. So we see they could not enter, that's the promised land, because of unbelief. Unbelief. They didn't believe that God would be with them. They didn't believe that they could do the things God said they could do. God said, go in and possess. Yes, there are walled cities. Yes, there is an enemy arrayed against you. But listen, you do not have to concern yourself. I will be with you. Every place on which your foot shall tread, I'm going to give that to you. You've got to walk across the land before you possess it. No walking, no possession. You will only possess what you walk across. Where are you walking this morning? What are you possessing this morning? Are you possessing the fullness of life that the Lord died to bring us? Are you possessing the fullness of life? What about the physical realm? 
What about the spiritual realm, the social realm, the mental realm, the relational realm? These are all land across which you've got to walk. And you walk by faith and you take it. You say, this is mine. This is my marriage. It's not going down the tube. This is my marriage partner. This partner is going to be born again. I declare it. I'm going to pray the situation through until it happens. Devil, I'm not letting go of it. My kids are not going to hell. My this business is not going down the tube. This family will serve the Lord. That's taking the land. That's walking across it and possessing. You've got to know. Make your presence known. Make your presence known. You see? Now the second model that, that the God gives us is this. Jesus. What a model. You mean I, I, I've got to be like Jesus? Yes. 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 Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye imitators of me, imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. God's expecting it. God wants you to mimic Jesus. Oh, you're just trying to be like God. Yep. Yep. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, tell your neighbor yes. That's a good yes. Trying to be like God in wisdom, understanding, the way that, hey man, you know, if you get some revelation of who you are in Christ, you'll carry yourself differently. Don't come with this false humility. I'm so humble. Ah, push off. That's nonsense. You were not called to be humble. No, you weren't. You were called to be the king of a kid, uh, the, the kid of a king. You're God's child. The God of all the universe is your father. You don't walk around saying, oh, my father owns the universe. <laughs> Doesn't look like it. Hello. Put your shoulders back. I'm the kid of a king. Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of anything. All I want to do is hear what he wants done. I'm going to walk out there. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to possess what I've been given. I believe this. Just like the children of Israel, if you ha have a look at the end of the book of Joshua, you'll find they got tired of the warfare. And they never possessed the whole land. And what God said to them came to pass. He said, unless you chase out every enemy in the land, they will be like thorns in your side and pricks in your eyes. They will be a constant source of irritation. The end of the book of Joshua, they hadn't cleaned out the land. And forever onwards, they had problems. Listen, folks, when the Lord says go into the land, your land, the land of your physical body, the land of your spiritual, the land of your relationships, the land of your family, the land of your finances, the land of your marriage. He says, go in and possess it and throw out every enemy. He means it. Yeah, that's right. He means it. And that's why most Christians have got problems, not because the devil is so great and the enemy is arrayed against me. That's nonsense. He's got no power. You've got more power spiritually in your little finger than he's got in his whole kingdom. Reason is, you never cleaned out the land. Never cleaned out the land. 
Get in there, roll up those sleeves, take hold of that thing and clean the land. Cast out every demon. Break the power of the enemy. Tired of pussyfooting around in the Christian experience. Come on. Time to stand up. Put your shoulders back. You're the kid of a king. Take hold of. There's no power that can arrayed uh, against you that can overcome you. No weapon formed against you can prosper. Nothing. When the enemy comes in against you one way, he'll flee before you seven ways. Why? Because the Lord is your shield and your defender. He's the strength of your right hand. Get in there and do it. Well, I'm waiting for God to do it. You wait. You'll grow barnacles waiting. Ain't going to happen. He's done everything that he's going to do. But now, we've got to be like Jesus. And God is determined to have a special people in the earth. Do you know that? A people called by His name. Listen, folks. Listen to what He's saying. God is going to have a special people in this earth called by the name of God. They're going to be called, believe it or not, God's people. God's people. Just as Old Testament Israel were different from the nations surrounding them, so Israel of the New Covenant would be markedly different from the nations surrounding them. This new Israel would be from every kindred, every tongue, and every tribe, and would be characterized by the supernatural nature of their lifestyle. Supernatural, that's what's going to make you different, not your doctrine. We're supposed to come together on the basis of the unity of faith, not doctrine. We'll never agree on doctrine. Never. But we're not called to agree on doctrine. We've got to walk out and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. You better know what you believe and why you believe it. From the Word of God and stand. Be teachable. Don't be dogmatic. That brings religious tradition when dogmatism comes in. Inflexibility not being prepared to receive new revelation. You don't have all the revelation that there needs that you need to have. If you're teachable in a year's time, you'll look back and say, my God, did I really believe that? Did I fight with that person over that issue? Man, am I embarrassed. Yeah. But I do want us to realize something, that there is to be a common bond amongst the people of God that sets the people of God apart from the rest of the world. And that is the supernatural nature of our lifestyle. They don't have it. They're seeking it. They're looking for answers. They don't have the answers. There is no answer to that in the world. Satan has come up with subterfuge. New age is not an answer. That's an old lie. That's been around for thousands of years. All you've got to do is have a look at what uh, the Word of God tells us about it. But we need to realize God has called us to be a supernatural people. Isaiah 8, 18 says that the people that God has given me, the children that God has given me, are for signs and wonders in the earth. Signs and wonders. To the natural man, a sign and a wonder is the result of supernatural manifestation. Have a look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. This is what we are to be. This is what God's expectation of us is. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9.
but you are. Say, I am. A chosen generation. Your birth didn't catch God by surprise. You're born for this time, for this hour, for this people, in this place. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Put your shoulders back and behave like royalty. A holy nation. A peculiar people. My Lord, he was right. But it's not peculiar, weird. It's peculiar in that we have characteristics that are different from every other nation. And let's understand this. We are to adopt and embrace the culture of the kingdom. That's what makes... Don't hold on to your natural culture. Oh, brother, but that's my roots. Your roots died when you got born again. Your root is in something else. It's a different kingdom. Come on. See, we've got to understand this, man. I'm, a pecu- I'm part of a peculiar people. Out of every nation and tongue and clime, God has got this people. A spiritual Israel. Spiritually alive unto God. Characterized by supernatural doings. Yeah. That's who we are. Yeah. The world can't do this. They tried it. They try to conjure up things. Simon Magus and them, in the days of, of, of the apostles, try to get this thing going. You can read through that like that. False. Satan can't produce it. But God's people better start walking in it. Because that's what makes us different from the people of the world. You're not different because you say, I go to living faith. I go to this church. I'm this. I'm Catholic. I'm Presbyterian. I'm charismatic. Doesn't make you different. That's different on a natural level. That is not different spiritually. And Jesus is our example. He's the last Adam. And he's about, when he arrived on this earth, his purpose was to bring back to God's people all that the first Adam had forfeited in the fall. His purpose in coming back was to restore spiritual dominion to the children of God in the earth. But first he's got to deal with the enemy that came in and through deception stole Dominion. Go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I'm just warming up. And the times fly. Man, slow that clock down, Lord. Matthew chapter 4. Now, when you've got Matthew chapter 4, if you're taking notes, and also for the tape, the purposes of the tape, uh, I'm going to read to you 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, because there's an association here. We give too much credit to Satan as being our enemy. Yes, he is our enemy, but folks, he's already defeated. He knows it. When you start knowing it and you start enforcing his defeat, he's going to be less and less of a problem to you. But I want you to see something. Because in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, We've got the areas of weakness that you and I have to deal with and guard against all the time. Verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
Those are the three things that the enemy used back in the Garden of Eden, and you could go and read Genesis chapter 3, and you will find that that's what he used to get the dominion away from Adam. See, he's not interested in the world, he's interested in the dominion. When you've got the dominion, you can rule the world. So he steals the dominion through doing what? Getting Adam to take his eyes off the things that God has spoken to him about. That's how he comes in against you and me. He gets us to take our eyes off what God has said. Now Jesus, chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 1, was Jesus is led by the Spirit. He's just been baptized in the Jordan. The Spirit of God comes upon him. His ministry is about to be launched. For 30 years he's watched God's people, the people of God in the natural, Israel. He's watched them in bondage. He's watched them sick. He's watched all of creation under the heel of the enemy, leprous, dying paralyzed, in poverty, in lack. He's watched all of this. He's watched the God of this world work and weave His web over them. He's had free sway. 30 years He watched this. And the Father says, now's the time. I'm releasing you into ministry. Go down and get baptized. But how do I know that? Because the Word of So he goes down and he gets baptized. And John says, now, I know who you are. I'm not worthy to baptize you. You baptize me. He says, John, this is not the time for any discussion on this. Just do it. <laughs> That's what I boiled down to. John, out of, out of the water he comes, and the Holy Spirit as a dove comes down upon him. Uh, you're going to need the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life to handle spiritual warfare. You'll be good, moral, upright, love God with all your heart yep. and get the hell kicked out of you all the time. Yep. I'm not blaspheming. I mean it. Deal with them. Yep. All the time. Now, verse 1 of chapter 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the... Watch this. Jesus is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted. Well, you see, the Lord leads us into temptation from time to time. Because doesn't he say, don't lead us into temptation? Isn't that what we're supposed to pray? That has nothing to do with this. It's not God who's leading you into temptation. He's not trying to check out whether you're able to or not. There is an enemy that's arrayed against you, and he is well able to test whether you committed to God or not. It's not God checking you out. If God is doing all those things, let me ask you this question. What is the enemy employed doing? God's doing the good and the bad? Come on, doesn't make any sense there. See? And then the house would be divided against itself. So Jesus is led by the Spirit. Why was he led by the Spirit? And it says specifically to be tempted of the devil. Because that's how the first Adam failed. The first Adam failed in these three areas. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's where he was deceived back in the garden. Now, the last Adam, Jesus, comes on the scene. And he has come with a, with a specific purpose of restoring back to God's creation dominion. But he's got to exercise dominion first. 
He's got to get dominion over the one who now has dominion in the earth. And so he goes back into exactly the same situation, having to deal with what the enemy was successful in in the first Adam. Verse 2, And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward a hungered. I think you and I, after forty minutes, would be the same. Maybe we can last forty hours. Some people, I doubt. Forty days. And when the tempter came, to, and and when the tempter came to him, he says, "If thou be the son of the devil, always comes to you and poses a question: yeah. If you're the son of God, That's right. if, if, if." And he goes on. He says, "If you're the son of God." Command that these stones be made bread. Here we've got the lust of the flesh. He's 40 days been, uh, been uh, um, what has he been doing? Fasting, thank you. 40 days been fasting. Got to wake up, you see. 40 days been fasting. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You satisfy yourself. You're hungry. I know you're hungry. And uh, Jesus is tested with the lust of the flesh. I want you to see how Jesus deals with it. He's not moved by what he feels. Jesus is not moved by what his body tells him. He responds by, first of all, in all three of these instances, rebuking the devil. I know who you are. That's a rebuke. It exposes him. This is not God leading me. This is not the Father. It's you. And I know who you are. And then he, then he gives him the right hook. You see? It's a left jab. I know who you are. And a right cross. It is written. And he, he beats him that way. He gets down there to verse 8 and 9. Again, the devil takes him to an exceeding high mountain. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof. He says, all these things have I given you. If you will fall down and worship me. And again, Jesus says, get, get behind me, Satan. Get away. I know who you are. There's the left jab. Here comes the right cross. It is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And here we've got the lust of the eyes. But go back to verse 6, because here you're going to get the pride of life. And Satan says, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down, for it is written, he'll send his angels, and they have charge over, uh, over you. And in their hands they'll bear you up, lest you dash your foot upon a rock. And he says, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life were the three areas where the last Adam was tempted. But he comes through victoriously. And we read that Satan departed from him for a season. Interestingly enough, there's a principle here that we need to grab hold of. And this is the principle. You never again find in Jesus' ministry that the enemy seeks to come against him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Because he knew those were not areas of weakness. I can't get him this way. So how am I going to get him? I'll stir the people up yeah, against him. Right. But I can't get him in those areas. Those are secure areas. This is what he does with you and me. He comes along and he feels, is this an area of weakness? Is it suspect? Is the str- I, I, I can't touch him over there. But what about that? Oh, yeah, I've got an avenue. And I'll just yeah, keep working right. on it and keep working on it and keep working on it. Build it up. Shore up against it. 
So it becomes an area which is strong and the enemy can't get in. That's why the Word of God says, give no place to the enemy. Right. Why? His purpose is not to bless you. His purpose is to bring you down. Now the interesting thing about the offering of the kingdoms of this world was that Jesus doesn't say to him, you can't. They don't belong to you. In actual fact, Jesus knew they did belong to him. Satan is the God of this world. His, the earth doesn't belong to him, but the kingdoms of this world belong to him. And he offers Jesus the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus knew that he had a right to do it because they belonged to him. He had gotten dominion way back there in the Garden of Eden. And 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls him the God of this world. But Jesus knew as well that Satan's greatest weapon is deceit. Now, Satan knows Jesus has come for this purpose, to regain dominion for the human race. So he offers Jesus everything. Watch this. He offers Jesus everything that Jesus had come to earth to recover. Watch how subtle this is. He says, if you will just bow down and worship me, I'll give you back the dominion you came to get. I'll give it back to you. I'll give you authority and dominion over all the kingdoms of the world. You don't have to go to the cross. You can avoid the pain. You can avoid the agony. You can give to the people, men and women, authority and dominion because I'm going to give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. And you can go back to heaven, mission accomplished seemingly, without pain or bloodshed. Sounds like a good deal. Don't have to go by way of the cross. All I've got to do is... only problem is that Jesus is God. And if he were to bow down and worship Satan, the one that you serve is the one who has the lordship over you. And here is the God of the universe bowing down and serving, worshiping Satan. Even though he's got all this dominion, Satan's still over him. And Satan can call the shots from there on out. And Satan would then have gotten what he was kicked out of heaven for. He was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be worshipped like the Most High. I will set up my throne above him. And that spiritual insurrection got him out of heaven in a New York second. New York minute, but a second's quicker. Got him out. But now he found a way. He's just going to test and see. You don't have to go by way of the cross. You don't have to. That agony and that pain, you don't want that. I know why you came. I'll tell you what I'll do. All you've got to do is just bow down and worship me. I'll give you the authority and the dominion over the kingdoms of this world. You can give it back to the men and the women of God's creation. You can go back to heaven. And you wouldn't have gone that way of agony and pain. And you would have accomplished your mission. Because you came... To give them dominion. I'll give it to you. But Jesus sees through this. He sees through this. Jesus resists him. And says it is written. This is not the purpose only. Remember Jesus is our model. And Jesus our deliverer comes forth. And he says now. I'm going to in my life. Demonstrate. That I have authority over you. 
I'm going to break your power. I'm going to break your authority. I'm going to destroy the authority of the kingdom of darkness over the lives of people. I'm going to show people this is the will of God. And he heals the sick, cleanses the leper, raises the dead, gives hearing to deaf ears, opens blind eyes, does all the things that the kingdom of darkness would do to a person in order to keep them in bondage and servitude, Jesus comes in and breaks that power. And he heals them and sets them free. And then he goes to the cross. And he has made sin for you and me. And the enemy thinks, I've got him. But he hasn't got him. Because he has got somebody who was a substitute. And that substitute in himself never sinned. And legally, he has to be released. And in the bowels of hell, Jesus, having satisfied the demands of a holy, righteous God, spiritually dead, is moved upon. And if the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, not physical death, spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation from God. If that same spirit dwell in you, it'll make alive your mortal body. He'll bring you forth. And there won't be one feeble one in all our midst. And he takes the keys of the gates of death and hell. And he says, I am he that was dead and I'm alive forevermore. And he goes into Abraham's bosom. He unlocks the gate there. And to Abraham and the Old Testament saints, to whom righteousness was accounted, It was accounted to them for righteousness. It was put to their account. Jesus comes in and says, I'm the fulfillment of all your faith. You believed that God was going to do it. That's why you're here in Abraham's bosom. I'm he. And Abraham said, I knew you were coming. This is him. This is him. I told you he was coming. Those that had my faith and operated in my faith, he has the fulfillment. And he leads captivity captive. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. And he takes them out. There's a church in heaven, there's a church in the earth. The church in heaven doesn't need authority and dominion. Church in the earth needs authority and dominion. So that generation by generation by generation, every time we take of the bread, every time we take of the wine, it's a constant reminder of the victory that is being procured for us. We stand in victory. We're to walk in overcoming because of the power of the resurrected Jesus that's alive on the inside of every one of his children. Death Sickness, weakness, pain, and disease has already been defeated. Its authority has been broken in the lives of those who put their faith in Him. You can walk free. You can walk free. You can walk free this morning.